Welcome to the ProcureTech podcast, bringing insight and inspiration into how digital technology is shaping our profession. I'm your host, James Meads, tea drinker, expat, and definitely not your typical consultant. Yes, hello there and welcome. Hola y bienvenidos. Guten Tag und willkommen. Another episode of the ProcureTech podcast. And today we're digging into a topic that is sometimes left a little bit to one side when we look at digital transformation of procurement. But it's definitely something that is vitally important to make sure that you're getting your value from all of your spend. So today's conversation is going to dig into how we can really leverage our contractual spend and leverage the use of digital technology to help us and enable us to do that. So the guest that I've brought onto the show today is none other than Mr. Daniel Barnes, a longtime LinkedIn buddy. And we've we've actually had lots of online conversations, but we've never actually met in person. So I kind of feel like I know Daniel already. So I'm hoping this is going to be a good one. So Daniel, welcome to the ProcureTech podcast. Thanks a lot, James. It's good to good to be on here. Finally, we get to speak in person, right? <laughs> been, uh, I said on the intro, we've been talking on LinkedIn for what, well, what feels like months, I guess it is now. And, um, and yeah, it's finally always good to put a name to a face. Yeah, it's probably... A face been, to a name, uh, sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's the, the way with LinkedIn, isn't it? You can have a lot of good conversations around procurement and the space and work and you know consultant life for quite a few months I think yeah I I struggle to remember how long but it's probably been at least all of 2020 we've had a conversations throughout yeah I think so yeah it's definitely it's around about January when I first started trying sort of up my LinkedIn game so yeah that would uh, that would kind of fit so we're going to talk today about contract management and I mean I know your background comes from the defense industry from from what we spoke about in the past so like most people, I guess you didn't go through school or university saying, when I grow up, I want to be a buyer. So tell us a little bit about how you got into the contract space specifically. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, it, it was quite a sensible and easy transition for me. So I went to university and studied commercial law and wanted to become a barrister, a, um, at one point, I was looking at becoming a criminal barrister and then went and did some work experience with some criminal uh, barristers. And they told me not to do it because there's no money in it anymore because of legal aid cuts and all sorts of other things. Um, so um, I luckily at the time, I mean, I was already studying for a commercial law degree, but it was a bit of a mixture. I did all sorts of other things like uh, Internet law and medical law and all sorts of other things. And then I, I was I was in my third year at uni and I didn't know really what to do. So I thought, you know what, I'll stay in education and went and uh, did a information technology and commercial uh, uh, master's degree in law and just kind of specialized in intellectual property law, uh, internet law, um, even did insurance law and then actually ended up working in insurance for about a year doing insurance sales. And uh, that entire time I was looking to pivot because uh, becoming a commercial barrister sounded great, but I didn't really want to go to London, didn't really want to work those London hours. And I come from quite a poor background and the, the costs were extortionate to, to go to the bar, to 
to pay it all off and just to live in London. Like I, it, I, I couldn't find a sensible way to do it without getting into debt, which is something I don't do. I hear you. Um, if, it's, uh, even if you earn £100,000 a year in London, you're not rich. You're just sort of getting by. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's it. So, I mean, I started looking around to, to find something that I could use my, my, my law degrees for, because I mean, I've, I've done fairly well and I started, well, actually a recruiter got hold of my details as they do somehow. And, uh, it was for a commercial officer role. At, a, at, that, at the time, I was at a small defense company about five minutes away from my house. And th- th- nothing happened of that. But it just opened my eyes to like, oh, there's this whole other world where you can kind of go and do work that involves contracts that isn't legal. So you, you don't have to be a trained solicitor or barrister. So I did a little bit of work into that. And then uh, I actually ended up getting a graduate role uh, with the Ministry of Defense in the UK in one of their niche wonderful top secret laboratories and uh, that was a mixture of doing commercial work so doing a lot of contract drafting non-disclosure agreements intellectual property agreements and a lot of procurement work so a lot of sourcing through uh, European Union regulations for procurement which is just a a wonderful field to to get into if you want to learn how to do procurement in nine months where everyone else does it in about a a day Um, so something tells me if it's anything to do with the EU, then it's probably not the most efficient, streamlined process that we, we could think of. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. So, yeah, that, that's kind of my background there. So I, I, I got into, yeah, I got into the defense world and really just took, took advantage of every opportunity, got to work on some uh, a really high profile um, contract termination of a contract that was worth about 100 million over five years. And I guess two things there. Firstly, if uh, if I ever have any issues with GDPR, then I know who to contact. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and secondly, I guess that is a, a whole sort of sub-industry within itself, isn't it? So how do you then take that and make it applicable and transferable into the more regular private sector or corporate world, so to speak? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question because... I mean, I try to operate pretty much exclusively within sort of industry, private sector now. And, and fortunately, most of, for most defense companies uh, or even research companies in, in my space, they, their main client is the Ministry of Defense or UK government. And having that background of how government works internally allows me to provide a lot of valuable insights whether they're bidding in for work or how they subcontract work under these contracts within their supply chain just to make sure risk flows down through their supply chain appropriately that they are covered throughout every step of their of them undertaking any work any services because a lot of the conditions that government put on companies can be quite onerous you can have things like unlimited liabilities and all sorts of other things that can absolutely destroy companies if they're not aware of them so if we take contract management as a more holistic topic mm-hmm. uh, would there be a, other than obviously resources and having in-house legal and risk management departments would would there be a different way that you are that we that you would approach it say for a five ten million pound or euro sme versus doing it for an international multinational corporation i'm I'm quite 
pragmatic with contract management. And I think every business should sort of approach it in the same way, regardless of their size. I mean, at the end of, end of the day, contract management is simply trying to get the most value out of the contract that has typically been procured. So uh, I think every company should set out to be trying to do that. I mean, I, what I would say is that if you're a smaller company, you're probably going to be doing it a bit more hands-on, a bit more manual, rather than relying on wonderful tools and software solutions that may be able to produce a lot of the uh, the data, the insights, the analytics that you're busy creating in an Excel spreadsheet or a Microsoft projects document to schedule in everything. Um, but I think the core skills, uh, the core idea of contract management should be the same in that you're trying to drive performance from the contract with the supplier. You're trying to get the performance levels as high as possible. You're making sure all deliveries are coming in when they need to be. If it's services, that the, the services are delivered to the quality that is expected or contracted. So I, I, I think all those things should be at the, the forefront of any company's uh, contract management strategy. I just think how they do it may differ slightly, mainly due to financial resource. Yeah. Or, right, or maybe due, due to budget and technology, right? So, so yeah. the, appro the approach, and if you're starting with a blank piece of paper and, and, you're, and, and you're the CPO or even maybe the CEO of a, of a smaller company and you've done nothing to do uh, around contract management or or risk mitigation or, or cost optimization throughout your contracts, what you're saying is then that you would you would approach it holistically in the same way, but then once you start drilling down into the details and looking at maybe some of the solutions and how you would manage and track it, that's when it starts to diverge in that a lot of these software tools tend to be more aimed at sort of enterprise corporate level. Mm -hmm. So that may cause a divergence in terms of the actual implementation and governance when you put that in place. Yeah, that's, that, that's it. I mean, I think it's, it's sometimes hard to, to weigh up the benefits against the cost or yeah, the, the, against the cost of implementing these measures. If you can have a, a I don't know, a, a, a a, a contract administrator or a, a, a buyer, junior buyer or, or something like that, a business an, a, a analytic sort of role. I, I, those people can be there churning that sort of data out of these contracts into to spreadsheets and projects and sharing that information on shared areas quite easily as opposed to, you know, pretty much revolutionizing how your business does these things when maybe they don't really need it just yet they maybe don't have the the number of contracts in place that requires it they may only have you know, 20 30 contracts that bring in all their business and that's that's quite easy to keep on top of so if we're starting from this blank sheet of paper before we start looking at any digital tools or any automate or automation or, or any smart technology technology that can help us would you would you tend to go down the spend route and look at the higher spend first or would you go down a category route i mean are there any are there mm -hmm. any categories through the nature of what they are are just more susceptible to 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 getting into a pickle contractually i mean i'm thinking probably it is an obvious one but yeah i mean i'll, I'll answer it in a couple of different 
ways. Um, so for me personally, I, I tend not to look at things too much in terms of a, a category, but I'll, I'll look at things in terms of criticality. So if this contract is left to its own devices and goes wrong or it doesn't deliver what we need, what sort of impact is that going to have on our business, regardless of what sort of category it falls in? Um, so that's kind of the approach that, that I would take. So I'd be looking at the impact of bad contract performance on the business. But I mean, I can give you a, a couple of examples of, and they'll be, probably be slightly different to maybe what you're expecting. But I've seen evidence of a failure to manage contracts and to not undertake full contract administrative duties, sort of like, so if I give you an example, not keeping a audit trail or documentation of whether it's electronic or paper form of any contract amendments, contract change notices, um, yeah. and things like that. And I've seen that on a facilities management contract that covered about four different sites, hundreds of different buildings, and these buildings were, you know, 100 years old, some of them 50 years old. Uh, so they need a lot of maintenance and within inside in, inside each of these buildings they all do special and wonderful things that I probably can't talk about in too much detail here but they've got a lot of a lot of tech in them a lot of filters just a lot of stuff that needs regular maintenance uh, and needs to be these buildings need to be really well protected so whether it's you know making sure the windows are all in place that they're not cracked that there's proper ventilation to buildings that there's power uh the the water is working within the buildings and i've seen that that kind of contract get really abused in that the supplier if there's not the correct measures in place or the or there's not a procurement manager contract manager someone looking over what has happened what the what the supplier has to, potentially invoiced for then yeah. it's open to abuse i mean i i have I've, I've seen invoices that said that they replaced uh, every window in a building and all, the building didn't have windows so, <laughs> so um it's things like that actually there's an argument for getting a good contract management piece of you know a, a good software solution that allows all that information to be centralized so you can check it from one screen and get everything done get all the, the data out of there the spend data and really see what's going on with that that contract performance and, and you kind of raise a good point there because even though i mean with what we talk about on the procure tech podcast it's more around software solutions but with with something like contract management a lot of the initial work in terms of identifying opportunity is going to be required is, is going to be dependent on individual knowledge and knowing what to look for i mean there are there are i'm sure you know it's not an it's not an area that i i have a huge amount of knowledge of in this space but there are i'm sure software solutions out there that can scan contracts and flag up areas of contracts that look a bit fishy that are typically you know according to their algorithm and machine learning areas that 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 are, that are typically areas of risk, but it does require that human input at the start, doesn't it? In terms of identifying where there could be abuses or or lack of control in the contract, you know, in a, in a very 
rudimentary form, you can manage contracts in terms of expiry dates and issue levels mm-hmm. and amendments in, in something like an Excel sheet, at least if you're a fairly small business. And obviously there are risks and disadvantages to doing it that way. But in terms of digital tools and help that you can get through AI or through automation, what what is there out there that you're aware of and, and what value can they give to those sort of individual uh, steps along the way? Yeah, sure. No, I I, I think it's a, it's a great point, firstly, that and um, yeah like a lot of contract management requires a, a, a bit of a different skill set in that you need to understand how contracts work you need to understand what is needed from the initial requirement or specification and you need to see how the contract um delivers it, well how that contract is going to deliver that requirement and the relationship there um, and just a quick point if there's not a good relationship between the contract and the requirement, that's normally a procurement failure, that your procurement teams have failed to procure those goods or services in a way that allows it to be managed effectively. So it's just a quick little point. But moving on to, in terms of a a tool, there's one tool that I've looked at for for some time, and um, I've even suggested it to clients because it just looked uh, looked wonderful. And I, I don't really have any hands-on experience with it, but it's called Juro. And okay. it's, it's just this wonderful little contracts management tool that, you know, it can do a lot of work with the specific contract documents. You can do a lot of drafting collaboratively across your business with it. It's got the entire approvals process built in. It's a single source of truth. It pulls out data from the, the contracts as well and can display it on a, on a single dashboard that obviously you don't need to make yourself, which is, is is a wonderful thing it's got a wonderful uh, user interface it can pull out all the, the dates um it can pull out other requirements within the contract around like non-disclosure agreements so it, it's got a, an ai built into it that can really pick out key parts of the contracts that makes your contract management activities way easier it's the, typically the stuff that i've done at some organizations where i spend i don't know probably way too long going through, you know, 100 to 300 page contract documents, pulling all that data out and then putting it into Word documents or Excel spreadsheets for Microsoft projects to schedule in when we need to check in with the supplier because they've got a progress update or they've got a a monthly deliverable that we need to check and I need to then check with the internal teams to, to see if the quality was there or whether we need to go to the supplier this month or next month because there's a formal meeting booked in that's got a an output that we need to to find so that's one tool that i don't know it's just something about it just looks excellent and i i don't have any hands-on experience with it which is a massive shame if i it's, it's something i would love just to get to to play with and and see how how powerful it really is i think i'll i'll, I'll look them up and maybe even try and get and try and get them on the show if it looks relevant because um yeah this is one. I mean, I'm I'm aware I'm aware of another tool called Gatekeeper, but that's more of a sort of corporate level tool, and that's also a a sort of best in breed solution. I mean, the likes of iValuer and Jager, yeah, all have contract modules, but in that's terms it. of best in breed software, there's only really Gatekeeper, and is it Duro that you mentioned that I've that yeah. I've heard of in the contract management space? Because I think what you you touched on a really good point that if 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 a human being is doing this manually 
it just requires such an amount of undivided concentration to look through a contract mm-hmm. and, and and actually pick out bits that could be a risk. And I know from experience, having having taken a 16 hour bus ride in Argentina last year and I had to go through a contract for when I, for when I got back and uh, and decided mm-hmm. to do it at that point because I had a period of time when I was going to be sat there otherwise doing nothing. And it, do, it just requires a huge amount of concentration. Yeah, no, I, I mean, at the moment and probably for like the last sort of 12 months, I've been doing a lot of reading contracts, pulling out these sort of key requirements, uh, key obligations, uh, key areas where you will get punished effectively. They're, they're, they're almost like penalizations, liabilities, indemnity clauses that the clients need to be aware of. And like, like, like we say, it comes back to the, that, that conversation, whether that business, do, do they need to implement that tool yet? Or are they happy keeping their systems in place because maybe the business isn't mature enough yet to, to, to start going down this digital route? I think so many people look at digitalization of, say, procurement, contract management. I think they can just slap a tool into the business and it would make everything better. And I just don't think that's the reality. I think unless you've got that process completely completely tied down before you get that piece of software, as long as you, you, you still need the capability within the business, you still need the people who can interpret what these, these software solutions puts out in terms of analytics or, or you need to understand why it might be flagging something up from a contract document, if you don't have the capability and you don't have the processes in place that enables that software to do its job, you're, you're still, you're going to be in the same position and there's a lot of manual work or just a lot of work not getting done or a lot of key contracts not being managed effectively. And it's exactly the same uh, as, as data, which I've spoken about with, with, with prior guests that I've had on the show. And it's, it's exactly the same argument. If you've not done your housekeeping in advance and if you've not got some in-house capability unless you're prepared to outsource it for a significant period of time then you know the risk of a project failing or being less successful than it could have been is always out there so i guess what you're saying is the exact same concept of christ applies to contract management too which which makes sense you know it's uh, you, you've got to have some expertise and some knowledge in-house to be able to make that a success so i mean th- there's a there's a lot of cost avoidance in terms of doing good contract management to avoid a, 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 a catastrophe. And, and I mean, now is as good time as any to talk about this with COVID-19. Um, finance directors typically want to want to understand hard bottom line savings rather than cost avoidance. So if you were sat in front of me and I was a CFO, what would you be able to tell me to convince me why I should do it other, other than you know, to prevent a disaster that may or may not happen at some point in the future? I think that's probably the most challenging conversation you can possibly have. And I think it's always going to be really hard to convince the the people who hold those sort of finances within your business to really see the impact. Unless you're, you're kind of using, you know, uh, you, unless you've built up a whole bunch of case studies and research around how other organizations have implemented it successfully and the outcomes they've seen because to them they, they're going to see that they've got staff that are already doing that work um, and effectively uh, f- if, for me what i think you need to show is why you no longer need 
those slightly less qualified staff in the business anymore, why you can effectively replace them because a lot of the work they are doing is, is not, it's not, they're not doing the strategic element of contract management. What they're doing is contract administration. From a business perspective, can we get these people who are doing this work off of this work? But maybe absolutely, like, yeah. It's yeah. a and it's a perfectly yeah. valuable argument. It's it's if you're ta- if you're taking an asset that you're paying X amount of year to, and 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 they're doing a lot of you know fifteen dollar an hour spade work tasks, and yeah. um, through uh, that that they're not essentially being employed to do, then then if you're redeploying. It's all. It's a. It's a bit like manufacturing when you look at um, uh, overall effective efficiency of a machine. It's. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that for a person in this case. That if you're if you're putting them on non-productive tasks, it's 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 a waste of paying them that salary. I always say buyers are often the most expensive admin assistant that a company has. Um, and and yeah. and you touch on a good, but you kind of touched on it earlier when you said that. When you gave the example about, about the buildings and the and the windows being replaced that hadn't really been replaced, because if that if 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 con, if autom- automation of certain aspects of contract management can be brought in, that then frees up the person to have the time to be able to then interrogate those costs, and that is something that then would deliver hard savings that that the CFO would then would then recognize instantly because. If that saved a hundred k on maintenance, um, then then there's a, a business case to say, okay, cut the maintenance budget by that much next year, and you've got you've got a hard P and L saving. Yeah, no, I, I, that that's how I look at it. I mean, those those sort of roles, those the buyer roles or administrative roles, all they're doing typically is there's a, a procurement manager or a commercial manager or some sort of manager who's asking them to get them some data in a form that they can read with ease and make a more strategic decision around. So it it makes no sense to me to have people doing those roles when, and let's face it, a lot of these software solutions are getting cheaper. It's just, some of them are one-off costs, some of them are yearly costs, but I, I think I've seen solutions out there that probably cost less than one staff member doing that kind of role. So it's, it's, to me, it's a no-brainer. I still think that the way in which business is done, and this is probably the limiting factor in that you've always had these sort of roles doing these sort of works. And I, I think it just takes time for businesses to adjust if they don't have the leadership in place that enables them to understand the, the real benefits of technology already. If, if, if you've got a CEO, a chief finance officer, who doesn't understand that a piece of software can do the work that they're paying maybe five, 10, I don't know how many people to do. And it's going to cost maybe the same as employing one of them. And if they don't have an appreciation of how analytics now works, how AI works, how a piece of software can scan documents. I know, I don't know how many pages per second or per minute, as opposed to a human being. And, and, if they don't get that, I think that that you're never going to convince them to to make this change. I think you've covered a lot of really valuable tips in that last in that last question. I think that's that's going to be the value bomb of today's podcast for to, <laughs> to, to to take away from. So finally, Daniel, before we close out, I mean, you've got you've set up your own consultancy in this space. If you can maybe just spend a minute telling us about that, and if anyone wants to connect with you, where's the best place to find you? 
pretty much my, my consultancy is Icarus Consultancy, and I cover the defense and aerospace. Space is really, do a bit of science, technology, and research as well, and just provide consultancy services in uh, procurement supply chain and uh, the commercial contract management world quite broadly without boring everyone. Uh, the, the, probably the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Like uh, LinkedIn is probably where you need to be if you are in procurement. There's so much value in, in, in terms of what people post on there and the opportunities that I think people can get either speaking career-wise. Um, yeah, that, that, just find me on LinkedIn and say hi. Fantastic. And I will link to Daniel's uh, consultancy and LinkedIn profile in the show notes, which you can find in your favorite podcast player. So Daniel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. Good luck with your consultancy as you scale that up. I'm sure you're going to be super successful with it. And also you've got a podcast coming out, which by the time this episode goes live, we will already be launched. So just finally, very quickly, tell us about that too. Oh, that, 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 that's, that's very kind of you, James, there to let me get two plugs in on a, <laughs> on a, on a podcast. Yeah, so the, the, the podcast is launching 1st of May. Um, like you say, by the time this episode airs, it will already be out. It's called the World of Procurement Podcast. You find it on LinkedIn, uh, the page. I would uh, try and say you can find the website, but I don't have one, but you'll be able to find it on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere uh, where you can find this. Everywhere, one too. yeah, <laughs> everywhere. That's it. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's a it's, it's a broad podcast, and it's covering. Um, even though the name is World of Procurement, I thought uh, it was a bit snappier than saying the World of Procurement Supply Chain and Commercial Contract Management, which is what it actually covers. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. Okay, I will wish you all the best with your podcast, and can't wait to have a listen once you've launched. Thanks, James. Appreciate being on the, the podcast today. So I think it's fantastic that there are so many more content creators coming into this space and really shaking up the procurement content sphere. So best of luck to Daniel with his podcast, and I can't wait to check it out. And by the time this goes live, he will actually be a few episodes in. Just before we go, quick request from my side. If you if you enjoyed the ProcureTech podcast, then two things. Subscribe, please, on Apple Podcasts because that will help improve our rankings and reach more people. And just hop over to the LinkedIn page for the ProcureTech podcast. And don't forget to follow us there for the same reason, that the more people like it, the more people we will reach when we release new episodes. Thanks again for listening and catch you again next week. All the best. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the ProcureTech podcast. If you like the show, then please subscribe or even better, why not write us a quick review on Apple Podcasts? It would not only really make my day, but it would also help our mission to enable procurement and finance leaders to become more data-driven through the power of digital transformation. <laughs>